Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, people. This is the Extra Spicy Podcast. I am Justin Phillips. And I'm Soleho. On this episode, we speak with Jimmy Famurewa, the restaurant critic at the Evening Standard. The job, particularly, and we could like go on and on about difference between US and UK critics, but it's been like well covered that like, you know, there's a sort of different sense of maybe like rigor and like priorities in some senses, like, you know. It is kind of funny that we are having a a British restaurant critic on the show, but I think there's a lot of interesting parallels between his career and mine, except he actually has been on TV. I haven't, so he's actually superior to me and way cooler. <laughs> in fact, we got along so well that we ended up talking for a whole hour, so we are splitting up the interview between this episode and the next, so you can hear all about what capers Jimmy's been through in the UK and just where we see the practice of restaurant criticism going from here. So I think it's safe to assume that a lot of our listeners do not read the Evening Standard because they're very American. Um, Yes. And I assume that your readers don't really read the Chronicle and that's totally fine. No, no. Yeah. So I guess to fill in some blanks that might be present, um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about just what you were up to before you became the chief restaurant critic? Um, Because I know you've written about film, entertainment, media, so many things. Um, So can you just give us a primer on what you've been up to? So I've been a journalist for, I'd say, about 15, 16 years now, pretty much from when I left university, college. Um, I started working for men's magazines. Um, the Maxim, which I know was a magazine in the US as well as a magazine in the UK. And, and yeah, entertainment, film and TV and music was kind of one of the main things I did. But like all kind of people that are staff writers, and certainly in that age, you didn't really have specialisms. You were kind of asked to be an expert on any number of things, particularly if you're working on a lifestyle publication or in features like you know you sort of something that comes across your desk and you're like oh okay I guess I love Formula One racing for the next um, 500 words or whatever it is so I became quite au fait at that um, and then you know throughout that time and I you know I worked for other publications and started writing more film and doing more film interviews and a lot of TV and throughout that time food was always there as something that I'd write about occasionally and it just kind of came to the to the fore a little bit. And then I worked, I started working in-house as an in-house staffer for the Evening Standard, which is uh, the London uh, newspaper um, in the UK. And it's um, it's one of the few, you know, sort of regional papers that does have, I'd say, a bit of a broader sweep, like because it's London and because it's the capital and it's kind of, um, it's a local paper, but it has kind of... Uh, 
um, and it comes out in the evening it's given out free and so it's kind of comes out at a different time to the other papers and so it kind of has it occupies a bit of a unique spot um, but yeah I was essentially I edited the back section of the paper and so I was responsible for the food pages and I would kind of be responsible for the copy of Faye Mashlow very sort of renowned uh, London food critic um, who had been in the job for you know since the 70s I think it was um, and so yeah so I was a known quantity to the paper I left I was freelancing and writing all sorts of different things for them there was an opening at ES magazine which is the even standards kind of supplement uh, title um, for a restaurant critic they were having guest critics like a weekly kind of rotating like oh here's a here's a celebrity and here's a musician and here's a politician and here's uh, various food writers so it's quite different every week um, because I was a known quantity I got asked to do it uh, it went well the editor really liked what I'd done with it I did another one she really liked that and it kind of just went from there really this was um, late 2018 and then yeah late last year um, amid the sort of weirdness of the pandemic I was asked if I would like to move to the main paper and take on the chief restaurant critic role because Faye Mashler was leaving after 48 years, which I don't think anyone expected. She's gone on to work somewhere else and she's still kind of writing for the paper in some capacity. But yeah, so so that's that's it really. I was kind of in, in a position. I was in the box seat having been, having written about a lot of things for a while. Food uh, became something that yeah, I, I just kind of, you know, it just came to the fore fairly naturally, fairly organically. And like, you know, you, you know what it's like. I'm sure you get asked to do these things and sometimes it sparks something and people see you in a role that, that maybe you wouldn't have necessarily put yourself up for. So Soleil, one thing that I realize I've never heard directly from you is your restaurant critic origin story. You know, I've only I, I've known you from the day that you walked into the Chronicle and I'm like, there's a critic. This is awesome. And that's it. But how did you get to that point? Like, I, I realize I don't know what led you down that path. I, would love, <laughs> I, I feel like people sure. would love to hear that. Um, so I have been writing in food publications since since I graduated from college in 2009. And I am. Um, I was always working in restaurants at the same time. So it was sort of a side job that I would do once in a while. And because I didn't rely on it for my income, I just wrote whatever stories I wanted to, which was super great. Um, so I would do little features on local restaurants when I was living in Minneapolis. Um, once in a while, I would do reviews, but I actually didn't really know how to do it. So I definitely, like, I probably botched it a few times, uh. like, whatever. <laughs> um, and I don't know... For some reason, I just it was such a, a cool thing to do both, to cook and to write about restaurants at the same time. And I kept doing that for a long while until eventually the writing part really took over my life. <laughs> and, and it kept calling me out of the kitchen in a way that was kind of unsustainable and not, not great, I think, for my career as a chef. So I just picked. And see, what, what really intrigues me, because I feel like at some point, right, you had to be like, okay, I can write about places, but also like my ability to criticize or constructively criticize or be able to explain to people why something's great and why it's not is now at a level that I think I can turn this into a career. You know what I mean? Like, when did you hit that point? Yeah, no, that was scary. Um, I think I did it 
officially in 2018. And I was like, I'm going to be a freelancer. And I immediately got this job that I'm in right now. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't last. But considering how awful my tax return was, like, that's fine. But the thing is, the interesting part for me was um, I didn't think I would be able to get this job. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was really mm-hmm. interested in seeing who would get this job. And it wasn't until people like Daniel Patterson, a local chef here and, like, you know, big name Michelin starred chef, started saying, like, oh, yeah, Soleil, like, he mentioned my name in a list of names that he thought should take the job. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, how? Do, one, how does he know who the hell I am? And two, like, why does he think I could do this? And then, of course, like, then there was a story in the Washington Post about, you know, who might be taking the job, which is so funny that they care. Right. And they mentioned, like, Tazel Rao, and they mentioned me. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And I was just sitting there in my living room in my wonderful $800 apartment in Minneapolis. And I know, right? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to try. And so I just put my name down applied and then the next day i think paolo our old boss called me so you hadn't even applied yet and people were already talking about you taking the job yeah and i think that's what it would take right for someone like me who does not feel qualified ever for anything to actually think about it like all these people have to say like actually no you should do it like (laughs) i'm very hesitant and yeah i I guess it's worked out yeah it's been chill it's been pretty (laughs) cool (laughs) I didn't believe that I could get the job and I didn't believe that yeah. I should get the job um, before yeah. I got the job. And I, yeah. I'm i curious about like the sort of emotional mental journey you might have gone through. Mm. Um, when did you start to believe yeah. you could do it? And did you always believe you could do it? I don't know. I don't know. I guess I maybe did just approach it with a bit of um, uh, when it was that first kind of guest slot on ES magazine. Um, which was, you know, the first time I'd written a restaurant review. I'd written, I'd, I'd written kind of little. Um, I used to work for another kind of freely distributed magazine in the UK in London called Shortlist, um, and we used to have little like bar reviews, like gastro pub. I think we call them here, like kind of bars um, or kind of restaurants where it's it's mo- it's a bit pub leaning and approachable, but little kind of uh, uh, short appraisals of those. So, you know, I was quite, I was quite kind of plugged into writing about food in that sense. But I guess, I guess I do know what you mean. And this is what's interesting in, in that I've definitely been in articles where like I've been reading articles about like, you know, the, uh, the homogenous nature of the uh, of food media where <laughs> you and I get mentioned, um, <laughs> you know, as like these outliers, like, you know, something was going on. And I think, I think it's only later that I've kind of thought, and there's probably a bit of a lingering like, oh wow, like this this space wasn't somewhere that I ever saw someone like me or someone from my background. And like, you know, as you, as we started off saying, I've written about a lot of different things and you feel like, oh no, I've not kind of got the, I've not got the kind of uh, intense, like, you know, miles on the clock of like, this is my thing of, so, so yeah, I guess that maybe I was aware of it that, that oh it, it wasn't something that I thought oh I should have that that should be mine but I think maybe in some ways that made me approach it and come at it in quite an honest way and I wasn't it wasn't like I was thinking oh my god this is such a great opportunity and oh I can see myself in this like role like I just kind of I just approached it I was a fan of the medium I was you know I read kind of 
the AA Gills and um, you know Jonathan Gold, obviously in the US, and um, uh, Grace Dent and Jay Rayner in the UK. And so I read these critics, and I was a fan of them, and I was a fan of the medium, and I was interested in food, and so I had a real sense of how I'd do it. But I don't think I felt like I don't think I felt too out of place really, because maybe just because I'd just grown so used to it, because like you know, media magazines and newspapers in the UK and in the US I imagine is such a white industry like there aren't many you know I'm black of uh, Nigerian heritage like there's so few people like me that you just kind of get used to it I think and that's not necessarily a good thing but you kind of just you become a bit immune to that sensation and I guess if you kind of cross over into working at these publications and you've been lucky enough to to get that, to get, you know, that foot through the door, um, then you just kind of, I don't know, you just kind of accept it maybe. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a long roundabout way of saying that I don't think I felt too like, oh my God, that could never happen for someone like me. But equally, I was aware that, you know, that I, I didn't feel like any sort of, uh, oh, I'm owed this or this will be easy or like this makes total sense. Yeah. I do feel like you're probably a lot, I mean, you are a lot more qualified than I would be for this job because you've actually been on like cooking shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of came after. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of, yeah. So I guess the Evening Standard, the chief restaurant critic job that I've been in now for, what is it? What are we, three or four months into the year as we're, sp- as we're speaking? Um, that job came following. So it's kind of they're self-fulfilling in a way. Like, you know, I, I hadn't been doing the magazine uh, restaurant critic job for that long before, you know, TV shows were kind of, you know, getting in touch and kind of, because I think... And I think that is another element of, and I'm sure I'd love to know your take on this, because I think because there'd been such so little change, so few new faces and fresh voices in the world of kind of food writing and specifically restaurant writing, because they're jobs that no one wants to leave or ever leaves and there <laughs> yeah. wasn't much of a pathway. Because of that, because they, you know, were quite, even the people that are in them that have been in these jobs will admit that it's this quite stodgy, unchanging landscape. As soon as you start getting some new people in, there is this real clamour and excitement, I think. And like, you know, not from everywhere, but from certain parties, I got that sense of people wanting to talk to you and people wanting to invite you to things and get your perspective and things like that. And obviously that comes with its with its um, plus points, but then you're kind of also, yeah, you're aware of, yeah, it, it can be it can be strange basically to be kind of you know hurled into that into that scenario. Yeah, no, I totally get that because the first mm. year I had this job, I was probably traveling at least once or twice a month to do mm, wow. conferences and do yeah. like to speak at schools and all of that. And I I felt like I had to say yes, right, because yes. they were yeah, so yeah, excited yeah, to have me and yeah. to hear about all of the stuff I was doing. I was held yeah. up as w- one who would dismantle like decades old <laughs> tendencies in the food media um, yeah. <laughs> that started yeah. before I was yeah. born, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to be really careful to not get high off of that too and just oh, start completely. to think like I'm yeah. the messiah, right? <laughs> oh, completely, completely, completely. And you're just trying to, you're just trying to do the job as well in some ways. And you're just trying to kind of learn and be better and, 
yeah, and sort of change things where you can, but also just kind of survive a little bit and kind of like, you know, and you're sort of, yeah, you're right. You're held up as this master. I am so curious about your thoughts just as to the visibility of the role, um, mm. just how you feel about being, because it is an illustrious job, right? Even Yeah, yeah, it's huge, yeah. I try to, I sort of try to block out a lot of that stuff because <laughs> I just think my personality is such that, like, I don't know, like, you know, particularly after it was announced, there was a lot of kind of people rightly wanting to, like, note that you know this was like an end of an era because like you know Faye and the standard and what that represented in terms of London restaurant culture and spanning entire areas and stuff and so there were people that wanted to like have that outpouring and then obviously someone like me someone from my background getting the job is like hugely significant in a lot of people's eyes and so yeah there was a lot of like this is huge this is enormous and I was just kind of trying to like uh, block that out as much as possible because like you know I, I feel like obviously it's huge obviously it's significant my my gut feeling when I was asked was like I really want to do that like there was no there wasn't really any apprehension like it felt like wow that is really that is really big but yeah I do I do think there is there is that weird thing isn't there where you feel yeah you feel like a representative and you feel like you know I've had this in other forms throughout my career because uh, you know I was I've been on staff at places and as an editor and that's quite stressful and then you think okay I want to leave but then that takes you out of you know you're one of the few black people that's kind of in a kind of editing position and so it's weird it's kind of it can just feel a bit like you sort of need to like clone yourselves at some time like because it's yeah it can it can just feel very strange and a little bit overwhelming when you think about it too much but I think my journey with it has been to sort of try to like own it a lot more and just um be that representative like wherever I can like not let it be it's a, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to navigate though isn't it because and and loads of people have really write about this really interestingly and have people are having great conversations about this which feels like the next phase after getting kind of greater representation and getting the odd kind of seat at the table is like okay like uh, you know on what terms like what are we going to be talking about how much are you going to push for covering a certain type of cuisine or a certain type of restaurant and how much do you just kind of want to I don't know just kind of cover what have the sort of freedom that the other kind of um, restaurant critics would but then but yeah I, I feel like the place I'm at with it now is that that yeah I, I'm very I'm very aware of it and that visibility and you know I, I do MasterChef in the UK like go on go on that as a guest judge relatively regularly and have done for the past couple of years and it's really striking to me that generally the people that spot me in the street and say hey, aren't you the guy are oh, other black people <laughs> or like other people uh, other people of color and I totally get it because it's like it's huge like you know like I know I can like spot like a like a Nigerian surname like a Yoruba surname at like you know, a million paces or like if I get emailed and I, it's like, oh, that's like a shortened form of like a Yoruba name. And I look it up and I'm like, and, and I, and I feel that and I, and I understand like what that means to like have somebody that, 
and and so but i all but i also think that it's important to not let yourself be like overwhelmed by like you know i have to represent the the viewpoints of of this entire of this entire kind of section of people or whatever because i think you'll just go mad and it's not possible in in the food world mm. there is especially now like this trend of publications at least saying they want to amplify you know black and brown voices mm, right yeah. you know they have these unique perspectives and look at these hires that we're making mm. and jimmy for you for you especially yeah, yeah, like yeah. you dabble in other forms of media and do it really really well and it's the yeah. same way that soleil does so it mm. all makes me wonder why still write why still participate in print journalism mm. right like what is the personal mm. reward from wow. that when, you know, you have these opportunities where you could do so much else? And not to say it's better, like we all love print journalism, but I would love yeah. to hear you talk about like what resonates with you. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a really good question. And I guess from my point of view, writing is the, you know, the first domino in it all. Like that is the thing that sets this all in motion. Like, you know, being able to express yourself in a certain way and write in a way that is hopefully compelling and hopefully original and that is that is the core of it really and so I feel like weirdly doing the other things it's almost made my kind of love of writing mm. even greater like you know what I mean and my sort of feeling that that is that is central to what I do and you know by all means please play that back to me when I'm literally <laughs> like on deadline and like <laughs> cursing writing and like googling fake own death easy question mark um because you know it doesn't feel like it when you're doing it but there's nothing better than that feeling and that is that is at the root of it for me and that is kind of i think there's something I don't know. I I guess like generationally as well. Like I am sort of. I'm I'm 37, so I'm sort of you know what like very old millennial. And I came through. I came up in the era of like magazines when, you know, it was kind of like the party was like <laughs> the sort of real boom times of of what like kind of early noughties was kind of fading, and. I, I still do really just love mm. writing and I think that and I think that you can like like you know if you take something like um the John Boyega interview that I did with GQ which kind of went mm -hmm. like really crazy and like mm -hmm. loads of people shared it and, and it was like a really crazy moment like I just don't know if you get that obviously there's a there's a video version of that or there's a podcast version of that and they'd all be great but I just don't think that's 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 the only sort of form mm -hmm. that you can do that in that you can sort of tell that sort of story in that way and be that expansive and you know and not just journalism but books and things like that I've got a real I've got a real faith in it and I think that that you know it can be quite a crowded marketplace in terms of people that can do a little bit of everything and you know there are people that are such fantastic genius level visual minds and like masters of like social media and audio and things like that but I think really writing in that sort of very pure simple way is quite a hard thing to like coach and to fake and 
that's kind of mm. what I love about it as well. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it, you're right because it's, because it's harder and I feel like there is a little bit of a sort of old media attitude to it because I feel like it's getting harder and harder to, to get people, to hook people with, with that. And I think it's a real question for, for restaurant criticism specifically and food writing in general throughout this year because I feel like, you know, everyone in my industry and specifically in my role it's been a really weird time hasn't it and it's been like you know kind of the most privileged people on any paper or publication and now suddenly the ones that are kind of like oh my god there's no restaurants what how can we keep my <laughs> column going or how can we keep this going and it's been quite you know in a sort of horrible way like even though I've been through it as well like it's been kind of fascinating to watch the different ways in which people have people have kind of adapted or or not um and so yeah I think I think that is that is probably why like that you know short answer I don't think I'm I think I'm okay at the other stuff but I feel like I've got like real experience real understanding of writing and sort of a sense of my voice and you're always getting better and always trying to improve um and and I just believe in it I, I believe in there's, there's nothing like it like when you kind of read something that is just that just nails it and is and has such a sort of mm. perfect voice and perfect kind of yeah it tells a story so compellingly like you know I kind of yeah there's nothing like it I think you're listening to the extra spicy podcast we'll be right back after the break you can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod this episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm Solejo, and we're back with Jimmy Famurewa, the restaurant critic at the Evening Standard. I'm so grateful that Jimmy said this about wanting to <laughs> fake his own death when, he, when writing, because I hate oh writing. I hate it. Uh, it makes yep. me miserable. I have a friend yep. named Maurice Ruffin, who's a novelist, and he always talks about how, you know, writing saved him. Writing makes him so happy. If he's not writing, he's like so, he feels terrible. And like, for me, it's the opposite. Writing makes me feel right. awful. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Like, okay, so what are your thoughts? Each time that you have an assignment and the deadline is approaching, what are your most drastic thoughts? <laughs> like, as, the, as, the, as that moment approaches. Oh, man. I, I think about, like, becoming a trad wife and just, like, having a... <laughs> And just like <laughs> marrying some like rich dude and like having a ton of babies and just like never talking to anyone and just like having a a, a quilting blog. I don't know. Like <laughs> I think yeah, about yeah. going away <laughs> forever. <laughs> oh my god! I I think about quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always just like, man, screw it. I'm just gonna quit, bro. I don't, I don't, I don't care about this anyway. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
And it's usually right when, when the final when the draft is done and I'm about to submit it. I'm just I'm just gonna quit, bro. I'm just gonna quit. That's it. That's it. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh no. Every god. week when my newsletter is due, I just feel like I should just I should just die. I should just go. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize like, oh, that's why. Like, that's why I'm so like freaked out and depressed. Oh man. I think part of it too is like being edited is an intimate process. Like as a writer, to have someone as soon as you submit something and sit there and you can kind of watch them go through and tell you what you need, what needs to be better, what you need to fix. You know, that's that's kind of an intimate process. But I think we're just we exist in our own heads most of the time, because like so like in your pieces, you have to take a direction that is specific to you like there's a line of thinking that you have to follow and that can be like a lonely road and then you have to share that line that you're following with other people in a piece you know what I mean and I think that can make us feel it can feel like there's a lot of pressure but you know it's it it can be like a a lonely endeavor I think you know what I mean because you're kind of stuck in your own head about it oh yeah for me it's like It's like when someone flips over a dead log and there's a bunch of millipedes and like bugs underneath it. Yeah. Like that's writing for me. I don't know which part I am. Am I the millipede or am I the log? Or am I like the dampness (laughs) under the log? But that emotion accompanying that image is writing for me. That is like filing a story. But the other part is it's hard to imagine. I'm not even going to lie to you. Like the days where I'm like, man, I'm just before I like put in a column or something where I'm just like, I'm just going to quit. It's hard for me to imagine doing something that isn't writing. Usually that quitting is like, I'm going to write for some for I'm going to write some other stuff for some other place, something that's way easier. But it's still in the same field, you know? And so I think there is like a truth to really loving this stuff and feeling like you don't know what else you would do and and we just go through the process over and over again. Right. I don't know. Right. I mean, you know, if all else fails, we can just become trad wives. You casually mentioned the John Boyega piece that <laughs> yeah. you did for GQ. I felt like, I felt like, oh God, am I being like really presumptuous here? Obviously, my yeah. famous. But then you also don't want to like, you don't want to like humble brag it. Like, you, I don't know if you've heard of a guy, John Boyega, and I did this little story that, but yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah that was, that was, that was like crazy. And I, I just don't think. I was very aware as that was happening. I was like, I don't, you know, you don't get these very often. It was just the real sort of um, synthesis or coalescing of various, very hot button things in a sort of perfect moment. And, you know, I've got to say, I've got to give credit there uh, in a way to my, you know, my sort of editors and the people that like kind of came to me with that story because they just kind of were like, look tell it in this way and I hadn't really you know I'd done a lot of celebrity interviews but I hadn't really had the I hadn't been given the sort of space and encouragement to just go for it in that sense and Mm -hmm. and it was really it was really nice and yeah the response to it was really great and yeah you just kind of uh, everything everything is you know (laughs) yes it's quite a weird one but um, but yeah it's good (laughs) but again it's you know it's strange because obviously I'm predominantly known for food but then you know that had nothing to do with it and so it's that weird thing of sometimes you feel a little bit like <laughs> I I don't know if you feel this as well Soleil but like like people will not take you as seriously as a 
food critic or a you know a thinker or a gastronome or whatever if you're doing all these other things as well like kind of that there's this sense that oh no you you mustn't sort of muddy the water of your own sort of brand or whatever by doing these other things and I mean obviously that's nonsense but I do find that sometimes in my head I'm like I'm like oh no like is that like sometimes I'll think of doing something or be offered something and I'll worry that it's kind of yeah two out of the remit of what people know me for or whatever which is a really weird thing yeah no people get easily confused but people also <laughs> don't give readers the credit that you know they mm. they deserve like people are smarter yeah. than that right yeah 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 you'd hope so yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yeah we're talking about like how you want to exist as a writer in this role mm. and as a critic um and yeah, the complications yeah. of that and you know you talked about how Faye had you know she characterized an era you know air quotes yeah um yeah, yeah and yeah. if you were to articulate yeah. right like what kind of mm. era if you want to be so presumptuous mm. like you would herald like how would you oh, characterize God. it? Yeah, my writing and the kind of era of writing. I guess, I guess I am. I, you know, you can't fail but be um, inspired by and like absorb what's around you. Um, uh, all the kind of great writing that's being done around food and it's you know intersecting with culture and race and issues of climate change and the environment and provenance and things like that and I feel like even though I feel like there are there are writers that are doing that in a much you know in a much more kind of overt and a, a sort of much stronger way than me in terms of like I feel like I do try to absorb some of that and just think about okay so what's the best vehicle to tell that sustainability story like I don't think I could and and again this is about the the outlet you're working for and I do feel like I you know I came up in a time where the tone of the publication you're working for and you're kind of you know you are serving that to a degree I think what's really good now is we're questioning those widely held presumptions about tone and the reader like you know the amount of times I've been in you know I've worked for magazines and like men's magazines and it'd be like oh this is our reader that we're aiming for and we'd have like you know these kind of brainstorms that you know we'd kind of have these company away days and whatever and I mean they wouldn't ever say he's white but like it was like implicitly do you know what I mean it was always one guy and it was you know and it wasn't um uh, but anyway I, I digress my my main thing now is just I think like so say something like sustainability there's a great restaurant in um, uh, in London that was originally in Brighton on the south coast of England called Silo um, that is, you know, very well known, particularly in Europe. And I think the New York Times might have written about it as well. And, you know, really real sort of cult um, adherence to sustainable practices and zero waste and... Uh, things like that but done in a really kind of interesting way and so I think that is something that I can funnel that story through and kind of I feel like that is so I guess if if I thought of any kind of era then I, then I guess it is just kind of just being open and aware to like what's going on in the world and surroundings and not being sort of I guess the weird thing is that 
the job particularly and we could like go on and on about difference between us and uk critics but it's been like well covered that like you know there's a sort of different sense of maybe like rigor and like priorities in some senses like you know i think that my take or my sort of feeling is that i'd just like to represent that sense of curiosity that sense of inclusivity and just sort of things that that do just to bring in a little bit more of how things really feel like it can seem sometimes like food content and within publications can occupy a bit of a parallel universe of like you know the gloss of how we'd like things to be and I think like wherever possible if you can do it with with humor and with with subtlety and and bring people along and just kind of you know, really kind of delve into the... Because really, if you've spent any time in a city or talked to anyone, then you know that it's all enmeshed and all interlinked. And, like, you know, you'll sort of... In London, you know, you'll go past the the um, the Caribbean, like, patty shop here. I was literally, this lunchtime, I was just going past, and it's like the queue coming out the door is completely different like demographically like in terms of like age and like and so that is a story that is really interesting but you don't hear it enough and that is like the story of cities and stuff and so I guess that is the thing that I'm that I'm kind of locking into and I'm sort of trying to trying to reflect wherever possible so that's all we have for today but stay tuned next week for part two of our interview with Jimmy from Urewa Thanks again to Jimmy for being in conversation with us and to Erica Carlos for producing this episode. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, please share it with a friend and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. And remember to send us any questions or voice memos you have about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segment at extraspicy at sfchronicle.com. Thanks for listening. 